I encourage young people, seek out what it is the Lord should do for you. Don't put the blinders on thinking it's got to be this or it's got to be that. It can be almost anything. Sometimes it may be working in a factory and you can be salt and light in that factory. And uh, certainly uh, ministries like your church, your local church, other things, and Answers in Genesis as well. So the Lord can, can use everybody and anybody in miraculous ways if you're open to that. Hey, and welcome to Zero Compromise, helping you stand for truth in a world that falls for lies. I'm Patricia Angler, joined here at the Creation Museum by Jessica D. Ford, aka JJ. Hello. And Rocket Rob Webb. What's up, guys? So, what do we have going on today, JJ? We are talking with Professor Danny Faulkner. He is a resident astronomer here at the Ministry of Answers in Genesis. He's been involved in the ministry for a very long time, writer, speaker as well. So, we're looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, so we have a very special guest. You guys are going to want to stay tuned for this whole conversation. We're going to be hearing more from Dr. Faulkner here about his testimony, his background. So, make sure you guys stay tuned for the whole episode here. So, let's go ahead and start off a little bit about, uh, talk a little bit about who you are and all the awesome things you do at our ministry. Well, I was uh, born across the river here in Cincinnati. My parents were living there at the time. My father was born again four years before I came along. My, my mother, I think, was, was born again in, in probably her teenage years. And uh, that made a big difference being in a Christian family. When I was two, my, my dad felt uh, called to be a pastor. So in preparation for that, uh, he packed us up and moved us out to Springfield, Missouri, where my parents both attended uh, Baptist Bible College uh, for three years. Uh, and then uh, about the time, before I started school, really, we moved back originally into Kentucky and then eventually up to the Dayton, Ohio area. And I grew up in Fairborn. Uh, anybody know about Fairborn? <laughs> My father uh, started a small church there, and so that was my church experience growing up. And uh, I was born again at age six. That into that my first grade, we had a, a vacation Bible school, and of course they presented the gospel. That's the whole point of VBS, I think. And uh, at the end of the week, by the end of the week, I understood that I was a sinner, that I, I knew what the penalty for sin was, and that uh, Jesus had provided a way of salvation. That's basically all you need to know to get started, I think. And so I was born again there the, through the vacation Bible school, and now. Uh, when you're when you're six, when you when you're born again at age six, you don't have a big, long, sorted history of past sins uh, that change you from. I oftentimes hear <clears throat> these fantastic testimonies where a person you know, was committing, uh, conv convicted of two murders and was born again. It was a big drug dealer with the mafia and all. You're saying well, that six years old, you didn't have all that? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. Well, you know, the problem is we get really excited about these wonderful testimonies. And when you hear about somebody who's uh, born again at age six, you're kind of like, hmm, you know, <laughs> and, and think about that, folks. That's so wrong because while a person who was saved from these depths of depravity is a testimony to God's grace, People who never went through all that is also a testimony to God's grace. I feel very, very blessed in the fact that I didn't go through all that stuff that so many people uh, have. So you should be excited about my kind of testimony as well. But you know, uh, part of that and also the, the situation I was in, uh, I kind of drifted for eight or nine years because, well, I was surrounded by people in the church. My family wasn't really challenged. You know, it was being a small town. Uh, people generally found out pretty quickly that I was a PK. You know what a PK is, right? A preacher's kid. And so uh, the kids in the neighborhood, they they uh, cleaned their language up. Later on, when I got older, they cleaned their language up when I was around. Uh, some of them, I, I would see, I'd come walking, I was in high school, they'd be smoking, and they'd get rid of their cigarettes in a hurry before I came along, as if I didn't know they were smoking. And uh, they never offered me the alcohol and the cigarettes and the, and the drugs, which is fine by me. I escaped all of that stuff, as I said. But I kind of drifted for years 
because people thought of me as being a PK, not being a Christian. And my sophomore year of high school, a number of things really happened. I think in my development of my life, probably in my sophomore year of high school, was extremely important. Uh, one thing that happened to me was beginning of the school year, I was going to public school at the time, and uh, there were several young men there who were Christians. I mean, they really made it clear. They witnessed to other students and such, and people knew them as Christians. They only knew me as a PK, and that really stung. That really did. Uh, I thought, why should I be different? So at that point, I kind of quietly but definitely rededicated my life. I wanted people to know that I was identified with Christ, not identified by what my father did. And uh, about that time, I also learned that people could actually make a living doing astronomy. I thought that was way cool. I was interested in astronomy, but I never thought about doing it for a living. And then I also found out I had the ability to do that. And uh, another thing that I realized was, I think that was my calling in life to be an astronomer for, for God's glory. And one what, thing- What first got you interested in astronomy? Like what was it that piqued oh, your interest in astronomy? Oh, <laughs> there was no event or anything like that. It was one of these things, uh, I, I, I'm convinced I'm doing exactly what I was, I was made to do. Um, I do remember when we lived in, in Missouri, uh, sitting out on the front stoop at least one evening. Uh, I remember this very clearly. Kids were playing in the front yard. It's starting to get dark. The stars were starting to come out. I remember sitting up and looking at the sky, and I thought that was so fascinating. I remember there was a kid there that seemed to know an awful lot about astronomy. I think he was nine. And... <laughs> <laughs> and he told me everything he knew probably in about a minute. But I was really hooked in, and to realizing when we moved from there, I was maybe almost five at the time, no older than that. So uh, I, you know, you might think a typical scientist, and they are like this, they typically were into everything when they were growing up. And there were rocks and insects and stars and all those sort of dinosaurs and things. I just really cut to the chase. I was fascinated with astronomy, but uh, science was just another subject in school. It took years for me to finally warm up to the other sciences, certainly by high school I was, but not, it wasn't until after my sophomore year, another thing that happened that year. So I found out that I, it was my calling in life, and I'm, I'm kind of sensitive to this because, uh, you know, when I was growing up, and maybe many of you have the same experience, uh, we were told that you should seek out what the Lord has for you as a Christian young person. What should you dedicate your life to be? What should you become? My experience was, well, basically, you got to do the Lord's will, and that means being a pastor or a missionary or a teacher at a Christian school. And if you kind of do anything else, well, that's second or third best in God's sight. And that is so wrong. I was almost afraid to tell people that I was going into full-time Christian service as an astronomer because I figured they think that's weird or just wrong or something. But um, the Lord really needs accountants. He needs engineers. He needs farmers. He needs people work in the mill. He needs attorneys. Boy, does he need attorneys. And on and on it goes. You, you have, it gets back to the Protestant work ethic. The Protestant Reformation gave us this concept that, that all work, if done honestly and to the glory of God, is worthy of, of dignity and respect. And the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages that adopted the separation between the celestial and the terrestrial, the, the, the secular and the sacred, and kind of Christianized that concept they got from the ancient Greeks. And if you were a priest or king, well, you're doing the Lord's work, but if you're anything else, well, that's second or third best. And that is so wrong, folks. It really is. And I hope you're influencing young Christian people in, in their lives as they're, as they're seeking out what they should do. Make them understand that it may be a pastor, maybe a missionary, but it may be something entirely different, and you shouldn't be afraid of that or ashamed of that. That's a great point. Yeah, wherever God has placed you, make sure you glorify God with that profession, whatever God has placed you. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to even be 
uh, you know, all these different things that people tend to kind of put on these pedestals. So that's, that's a really great point. And by the way, before we continue this conversation, we have a live audience. So let's go ahead and make yourselves known. Come on, NASCAR clap. Here we go. Awesome. Good job, guys. You're welcome. I feel like I'm in the Clemson Stadium right now. Yeah, there you go. So that's probably a little sore subject, I know. So we won't go there. But um, so speaking of university and, and college, so I'm, I'm assuming you majored in physics and, and astronomy when you went into college, well, it right? turns out I, I, I had to settle for second best. My parents wanted me to go to Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. So I went there and they had a, a math major, which is very important in, in astronomy. So I majored in math and I minored in physics. And uh, it was really good that I went there because... Um, um, the science faculty there were really dedicated to biblical creation, the kind of message that's very consistent with our message here at Answers in Genesis and what we believe. That really, really strengthened me in my faith quite a bit. I had one professor that I butted heads with quite a bit over the years, but uh, one thing I really appreciated about him was the fact that uh, he taught several physics classes to me, and at uh, each year, he would have the, each course, he had a textbook to use, but he also signed another book, which was a creation-based book. And uh, at the midterm, uh, half the test was based on that book and the other half on the physics. And so uh, they, that was a lot easier to do that part. And I would read through the book and is open book test, you know, for that nice. part. Uh, not the physics part, but that part. And so what I would do is I'd read through the book a couple of times and I'd make margin. I don't write in books very often, but I'd put in a margin, a one or two word summary of each paragraph. And so today I can pull off my shelf some of the books and, oh, that was one of the books he had us use. So I appreciated the, the grounding that I got there. And then I, uh, I went a few miles away uh, to Clemson to do uh, master's degree in physics, and I, I did a, a thesis a thesis there on, on eclipsing binary stars, which got me into that field. That's another story we don't need to go into. And then I went to Indiana University for a master's and a PhD in astronomy. And um, uh, when I was, I was completing my work there, I accepted a job at the University of South Carolina, Lancaster. Yeah, I was working at one of the chicken school campuses, not the Tiger School. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't the only Clemson fan on campus, as it turns out. And uh, I spent uh, 26 and a half years there. I didn't really know why I was there. I didn't know how long I would be there. But, you know, I was very happy there. I was a um, full professor. I was tenured. And uh, they knew I was a creationist. That was not a secret at all. <laughs> And they were cool with that. Yeah, uh, what, was like, what was that environment like? As a, a <laughs> professing believer in Christ, to be in a public school setting, in a uh, university setting, what did that look like? Well, not all, all stories are like the, the, you find in the movie Expelled. Uh, there are actually some success stories. You don't hear so much about those because it's sort of like the mafia guy who gets born again as opposed to the six-year-old who gets born <laughs> again. You know, It's not as exciting, but it ought to be. And uh, I think that the simple answer is that uh, academic freedom is alive and well at the University of South Carolina. Uh, several times people from outside the state, outside the country tried to get me in trouble. And every time the, the university backed me up in terms of academic freedom, which I couldn't be more proud of my institution for that. The other, the other story, and that, that's, a, it's a small campus in a small southern town, and it's a very conservative place, and there are a lot of churches. In fact, uh, it's surprising, but nothing happened on Wednesday evenings in that town. When my son would play t-ball and soccer, we did it every day of the week except for Wednesday. That's because there wasn't a tough time after school and church service that night. <laughs> and so everybody went to church on Wednesday nights. The town just shut down, basically. And our, our, our church met on Thursday evenings. I know that sounds heretical almost for a while. And uh, so my wife and I would go out, uh, maybe go dining or go shopping at Walmart. And I called it Heathen Wednesday because you could tell the church goers weren't. Seven o'clock, they were gone. They were back at church, you know. But it was, that was fun. But they... Uh, Reflected the, it reflected the uh, sentiments of the community, which is a very church, very Christian influence there. And uh, we had a number.
number of faculty and staff and students who were born-again uh, people. And in fact, uh, right now, the uh, campus dean, which is the highest level officer on the campus, is a born-again man. So uh, it, it was a little different <laughs> than most, most uh, state university campuses, and that's kind of a little secret. And I found over the years that people want to criticize me. They look at my publication record, they see where I went. I'm a distinguished prof professor emeritus at this state university, and they really don't know how to handle me because I'm not supposed to exist. <laughs> and, I, and after 15 years or more there, I began to realize why the Lord put me there. I think it was to make me look better than I am. So <laughs> it gave me that credit, street cred that I could, I could cred. do that. So, but my, my uh, story is, is that I always thought if I ever retire, I don't want to retire. I, I can see myself 85 years old and still, 95, still coming into the office, still running around Red River Gorge and Enough stuff. Enough sure wine, I think anything can happen. Oh, everything right? can happen. And, uh, but I, I realized that, that I could retire at some point, and if that's the case, then wouldn't it be cool to uh, do creation science full-time at that point. And that was kind of in, on my heart all that time. And when I was at the university 10 or 15 years, that was a distant sort of thing. But after about 15 years, it wasn't so long. I was over halfway there. And so my wife and I would discuss it, and we discussed different possibilities. And every time we talked about it, Answers in Genesis came to the top of the heap. I had known Ken since 1992, I believe. And were you so, even alive back then? Uh, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> I think my parents were just getting married then. <laughs> and so I was having a, re a relationship with AIG, well, even before AIG existed. He was at Institute for Creation Research in San Diego then. And um, met Mark Loy as well. They were kind of two of the triumvirate there. Yeah, yeah. Had a great relationship over the years. And so every time my wife and I discussed it, answers in Genesis came to the top of the heap. And I think my wife decided long before I did, this is where we're going to be, you know, afterwards. And uh, so it was in, uh, had an opportunity to retire a little bit early. And, and by the way, I, I wasn't running away. The, uh, I was very happy there. I loved my campus, the, the people I worked with, the students. I loved the town. I loved my neighbors. I loved the church I had. There was no good reason to leave except for the Lord's calling to tell you it's time to go somewhere else. And it was a little, a little hard for me to do that. After 25 years of being at the uh, university, right? Is that about years. the 20, timeline? 26, yeah. 26, And, and okay. I got a chance to retire a couple years early. Sure. I won't go into details on that. But what happened is uh, they had a program where I could sign up for retirement and uh, I could continue working for up to five years. But I, I could leave any time within the five years, but I had to leave full-time employment at that point. And so I, I signed up for that in December. I was on a Friday, December of 2011, I guess. And my, my, uh, my desire then was to uh, work another two or three years and then start looking. Well, that was on a Friday morning. Went down to Columbia, the state headquarters for the, for the retirement system, signed on the line, committing myself to this. And uh, Wednesday morning, uh, Jason Lyle, who had been the astronomer here before I was here, I knew he was thinking of leaving. And he emailed me five days after I'd signed on that line saying, uh, I'm, I gave my two weeks notice. <laughs> And, whoa. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, all that time, it never occurred to me they'd only want one astronomer here, not two. So I, I couldn't have come here had Jason not left. And, and so it really, wow. the timing was in incredible. It took me a year to settle my affairs uh, there and move up here. But I've never looked back. It's really been wonderful to be here. Praise God he's, yeah, that you're here. So over those 26 years being at the university, do you have any stories or any times where like, a critic would come up to you and try to challenge you on your biblical creation stance? Not really. It's amazing. I've had a, I had a few people, uh, you know, talk to me. Uh, I, I started giving talks about creation uh, probably around 1992 or there, 91, somewhere around there. Uh, and, and Have you always been the biblical creation? I, I just yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, growing up, it was just taken for granted, but the resources didn't exist. The modern creation science movement was just getting started in the 60s. 
And uh, I must confess, at one point, I came under the influence of a couple of books, uh, probably in eighth or ninth grade at the time. One was a book by Peter Stoner called Science Speaks. Anybody know that uh, book? It was a book from the 1950s. I got in a, in a reprint and paperback. And another book no one's ever heard of uh, as well. And both of them were, were peddling day-age theory. Mm. And I realized that this was something a bit different from what I understood, what had been taught what we, the church my family taught and believed because they believed in six-day creation, but there was no creation science behind any of that sort of thing. And I, uh, I got to thinking, well, that's not what I've been taught and what I understand, but this, these seem to be two Christian men who wrote these books, and they, they seem to love the Lord, and they know more than I do. I was unlike so many kids today, you know. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe they're right. And I kind of leaned in that direction for a while. But then uh, sophomore year of high school again, I happened to run across a book from an author you may have never heard of. His name was Henry M. Morris. Know the name? Just little. If yeah. you know anything about the history of the modern creation science movement, he was the founder, mm-hmm. co-founder with mm-hmm. John Whitcomb of the modern creation science movement. He wrote a bunch of books, and I uh, had one of those, and I read this book, and immediately I understood, wait a minute, he's talking about something very different, six-day recent creation. I understood immediately that it was different from these other two books that I'd read, and on top of that, I realized that it made much more sense biblically. So I kind of flirted for a while, but I certainly was reconfirmed, and of course at Bob Jones, I was reconfirmed there even more. So yeah, I've basically been a six-day recent creation plan entire life. So then once you joined Answers in Genesis with that cool series of God stories and you're now teaching six-day creation, uh, what are some of the other, say, conflicts that you might have experienced with people coming up to you in this setting? Have you actually had more confrontation in this setting than working for a secular one? Again, not too many. Uh, I've had um, the the only... Only confrontations I've had is uh, maybe we can talk about this some other time, but uh, I've delved into the flat Earth movement. Which yeah, we'll, blew up. we'll bring you back for part two on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it blew up almost a decade ago, so I've been—I became aware of it seven and a half years ago. I've been studying it and writing about it, and I've had. Uh, people sometimes in my presentations, they've been polite. They've been very nice. They've not been rude or anything, but, you know, they'll challenge me, and and I can handle that. I I wish people would challenge me more sometimes because I think I need that. But the university didn't happen very much. I would uh, sometimes speak on um, Big Bang and cosmology, and I was challenged a few times. I remember one man, a Christian uh, man, I don't doubt his salvation at all, Afterwards, he came up to me and he said, well, if, if the cosmic microwave background, the CMB for short, does not come from the Big Bang, what's it come from? And my answer was, I don't know, <laughs> which is a fine answer to give, but it's not the best answer you can give. And uh, after I came to work at Answers in Genesis, that first six months, I stumbled upon an answer to that question. And real quick, so for those that want to know more, what are some good resources you point people to? Well, I've written... Um, Seven books now and a couple of pocket guides. Only seven. <laughs> Only seven. Just seven. You guys have all written seven I wrote books one before. I, I've written six since I've been here. I wrote one back at the, when I was at the university. But um, I talk about uh, the, the one book uh, that, that I'd like a lot is my, the one called The Creative Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's on biblical astronomy. There hadn't been a book written like that in 100 years, so the time was right to revisit that, just examining everything that the Bible has to say about, about uh, astronomy. And I sort of left off talking about the creation science. But when I got done with that book, I said, well, you know, we re- I need to follow this up. So a year later, I published The Expanse of Heaven, which refers back to the first book. And we sell them together like a match set. Uh, one's got a blue cover and one's got a red cover. So I call one my Republican book and one my Democratic <laughs> book. But they're both good, I think. And, and the second one refers back and it talks about the creation science uh, of astronomy. So they make a, a good set. Uh, that would be one place to go. And I talk about my 
idea about the cosmic background radiation, what I think the proper cosmology is uh, in those two books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you also have the new book, uh, Into the Heavens, right? Uh, awesome coffee table book with oh, yeah, all the that pictures. That came out uh, almost be two years ago, December, ago, yeah. called uh, The Heavens, A Different View. Okay, yeah. Uh, you, so people may be aware of two other books with that title series. One is the uh, Grand Canyon, A Different View, and uh, published 20 years ago, I think. And then Georgia Purdom went to Galapagos Island, did Galapagos, A Different View. And if you've been around long enough, you know that those are two big exhibits, Exhibit A and Exhibit B for evolution, the Galapagos for biological evolution and Grand Canyon for geological evolution, supposedly. Of course, we have our own interpretation of both of those. So it was a different story or different uh, heavens, a different view. A different view. Yeah, right. That's the different view we give. And so about six, seven years ago, I got into astrophotography. I, uh, that's taking pictures, astronomical objects, sometimes with just a wide angle lens, just looking at the sky, sometimes with a telescope. I never got into that before because when I was younger, I didn't have the equipment, didn't have the camera, and plus it was a bunch of film, very expensive, but now I have more money and I have the resources now, so I got a couple of cameras and hey, you're just you're not wasting film anymore. I can take a thousand photos and it doesn't cost me anything. So I've been taking a lot of time-lapse photos. I put them on my, my personal YouTube channel that I have and I've blogged about it a few times on our website. But uh, I got to thinking, I wanted to get these pictures for use in some of my illustrations. I talked about the Milky Way. Well, here's a picture of the Milky Way. And I found two amateur astronomers who are very supportive of Antis and Genesis, and they take better pictures than I do. I I see some of my pictures, I'm pretty happy, and then I look at theirs, and I think, why bother? (laughs) They're so good. And I got this vision of doing another book, a coffee table book just on the heavens. The heavens a different view. So I wrote the essays and some of my photos are in there, but more of the other two fellows are in there and they're happy to have the, 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 the God to be able to use their pictures that way. It's a lovely book. Yeah, That's it is great. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Something you may have noticed our audience here about Professor Faulkner up here is that he is not wearing any shoes. burning question. I know so you guys are all this wondering. This is a burning question. Can <laughs> you address purpose. why you are not wearing shoes? Why? Well, the simple answer is I descend from five generations of Kentucky hillbillies. <laughs> my, my parents thought the Beverly Hillbillies was a documentary. And, and if you know much about, the, they're from the hills, and uh, I barely escaped, I barely crossed the river where I was born. But I uh, went back a lot growing up, uh, up to Menifee County, and I like hillbilly humor. And uh, it turns out, uh, it's not a political statement, a fashion statement, anything like that. I just simply had a couple of spots on my feet that used to itch the devil out of me in the winter, particularly. And about 40 years ago, I discovered if I go barefoot often enough, I don't have a problem. So I've not had a problem for years. So when you see me wearing bare, you know, no shoes, it's it's actually for comfort of my feet. Yeah. So maybe if you guys have similar yeah. situations, yeah. there you go. You can, and I have you can a learn. tradition. I have a tradition when I'm interviewed, sitting down, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. take my shoes off. You've seen me in some programs. Usually my shoes are off. Yeah, <laughs> Danny and I, we actually did a program called Flatline. I think it was a six-part series where we talked yeah. about uh, the flat earth in every single episode. No shoes. That's because no. people <laughs> texted in, want to know, is he wearing shoes? Is he wearing shoes? Number one so comment. People know we about always that. got people, is he wearing <laughs> shoes today? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. along with not wearing shoes, is there any other advice <laughs> any that you would give to young people? So let's say we oh. talked a lot about how God brought you into your calling of astronomy, even though you didn't necessarily think that it was a, like a Christian calling per se. So say there's some other young people who God's maybe put a passion in their lives, but they don't know if they can actually use it for ministry. What would your advice be? Oh, yeah, you can. Uh, the Lord 
can use you in mysterious ways. I think of Joe Owen, who heads up our Hispanic ministry, a wonderful man. He was raised in a Christian home, quote unquote, but he left for a number of reasons, left the, left the church, became an atheist. He was in the Navy. He, he, it was terrible stuff. But you know, in, in high school, junior high even, he started taking Spanish classes and he fell in love with Spanish language and culture. He married a Mexican woman. They have six wonderful kids, and, and the Lord miraculously saved him later on and then called him into the ministry. He's been to seminary. The direction of his life has just been very different from what you would have expected. Even when he was like 13, 14 years old, the Lord was preparing him when he was in darkness for his life's work, and he's doing exactly what he was made to do as well. So I encourage young people, seek out what it is the Lord should do for you. Don't put the blinders on thinking it's got to be this or it's got to be that. It can be almost anything, and uh, sometimes it may be working in a factory, and you can be salt and light in that factory. And uh, you certainly, uh, ministries like your church, your local church, other things, and Answers in Genesis as well, we need donations, and you can work a job where you can convert some of that work into supporting a ministry like this. And people overlook that. They don't realize that that's a calling as well. So the Lord can can use everybody and anybody in miraculous ways if you're open to that. And I think it's very important. And I think parents, you need to give guidance and give permission to your young people in your life that say it may not be full-time Christian service, put that in air quotes, um, but but uh, there are many different different avenues you can take. And on that note, no, so the last few minutes here, go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, all the things you do here at the Creation Museum. And uh, you've got the planetarium and and all the sorts of different programs we have. And we, during the summer, we give live shows in the planetarium. We, uh, we, we have a, a sunspot we do in the, in the, in the summer, uh, whenever the sky is clear, we look at the sun. Uh, safely, of course, with filters. I, uh, we have an observatory out back that I oversee. We have stargazer programs. I do my astrophotography. I help lead a field trip down in Red River Gorge, my favorite place in the world, two, and two hours to the southeast. An amazing, amazing place. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of you have been, haven't mm-hmm. you? I went. I don't know if I'll go again. <laughs> I mean, this guy dragged another, me another through. Story. <laughs> With him. Oh yeah. man, he dragged me through mud and bushes and going uphill, downhill, and it was intense. Not bad yeah, for a 69-year-old man, huh? Yeah. I, I, so, at any rate, I also uh, I, I, I'm a research staff. I do some speaking, but primarily, primarily I'm supposed to research, and so I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of writing, as the books, the articles, the blogs. But you know, people ask me what's a typical day for me. Well, I tell them most days I come in and do whatever I want, which is way cool. <laughs> Such as not wearing shoes. (laughs) Exactly. There you go. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show with us, Dr. Faulkner. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We just love hearing people's stories, how God leads them, and their advice for young people. So thank you for sharing all of that with us today. And we'll have to have you back on sometime to talk about the flat earth and some of the problems with that. So thanks again. And we hope in the meantime that you keep standing on the truth of God's word with zero compromise. See you guys later. God bless.